Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop. We invite you to join us today as we discuss the Catholic Church's teaching on the dignity of human life and how families can raise pro-life kids in a pro-choice culture. Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop, building the church at home, a place where faith and family meet. Insight from a priest, a mother, and a whole bunch of others. I'm Emily Lugo. And I'm Father Stephen Ingram. Join us as we enter St. Joseph's Workshop. Today we are excited to have Maddie Brown and baby Peter Augustine join us as a guest for our show. Maddie is a youth and young adult director for the Catholic pro-life community in the Diocese of Dallas. From a young age, Maddie was interested in the pro-life movement and was an active member of Youth for Life in the Diocese of Dallas. During college, she met her husband volunteering at the Youth for Life pro-life boot camp. Maddie and her husband Ryan have now been married for 10 years and they have five children on earth and one in heaven. As we celebrate Respect Life Month, I'm so excited to have Maddie join us today to break open the topic on how we are called to build the culture of life and how parents can raise pro-life kids in a pro-choice culture. Maddie, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to join both of you today to talk about what has to be my absolutely favorite subject that is just so important in our world today. Well, we're, we're very glad that you're going to be joining us today to break open this topic. It's obviously that you're passionate about the pro-life movement, um, and obviously your position gives you the opportunity to ga- engage young people in this topic. Um, so before we begin, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got involved in the Catholic pro-life community? Well, since we're talking about family, it, it really goes back to that, um, and I have to kind of credit my older sister and my parents for getting me involved. Um, and my mom, for anyone who knew her, had a huge heart of a servant. And whenever one of us kids was involved in anything, they, you know, kid activities, they asked for parent volunteers. She was the first one to raise her hand. And if they needed more, she volunteered dad to go along too. Nice. <laughs> um, and so um, when my older sister was in high school is when kind of Youth for Life was really getting off the ground and getting really active. And we were family friends with the director at the time. And so she invited my older sister to to join and they needed adult volunteers. So my parents went and the little sisters went along. Mm. Um, And so after that, as I got a little older and I was old enough to be involved myself, it was really cool to go hang out with my older sister. Uh, And so then just being with my sister, I soaked everything up and I wanted to get involved too as I learned more. Um, And so I, you know, took it on in my heart. I joined the youth speaker team we had at the time and went out and gave youth presentations in high school. I went on a trip to March, uh, to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. Um, I just did everything I could. And then, as you said, in college, I volunteered with Pro-Life Boot Camp and met my husband, and the rest of that's history. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to back up real quick. You said that when you were a high school student, you were a part of the Speakers Bureau giving mm-hmm. presentations? Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that <laughs> high school students were able to do that. Yeah, it, we don't do it anymore, but it was a thing kind of back then when we didn't have as many adult speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had the youth go out and talk, and so that was a really cool opportunity that yeah. got me involved. What a neat testimony to be able to hear from one of your peers who's passionate about that subject. Absolutely. It's so powerful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it really is powerful hearing not just from the adults in your life, but somebody who's like you, you know? <laughs> and that, that's one of the, the real blessings of this pro-life community, the pro-life attitude within the church is it really is a recognition of our own love for one another. You know, it's rooted in that. You know, I remember in my own history, you know, learning 
at the same time as, you know, my biology class in high school, you know, where we're talking about when life starts, you know, at that conception moment, um, you know, new DNA <laughs> comes about and a new unique human being is formed. I'm also learning about, you know, the church's stance for pro-life and how terribly abortion is devastating my own generation, you know, and, and that's a powerful thing for kids to recognize is that it's not just this abstract thing. It's not just a concept and a teaching. It, it actually has roots and effects on reality, you know, and that, that's how I came to this kind of understanding was, you know, this beautiful recognition that, that life is a natural thing. You know, it's not this abstract idea of when does the soul enter the body, although we've had a lot of debates about that. A human being can be told you know, just from the very core of biology that it is a unique human being from the very beginning. And as we've understood the science better and better, we've recognized that that life needs to be protected earlier and earlier. And, you know, we've a lot of people will say, you know, well, the church teaches it because it's in the Bible. And yeah, it's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. We've got, you know, the Psalms that say, you, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You know, before I was born, you knew me, <laughs> you know, and that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, we recognize the, the value of Christ's conception and even Mary's immaculate conception. We recognize those moments are very powerful when we honor them, but we don't just believe that because the faith teaches it. It's not just a divinely revealed thing. It's actually self-evident from a study of the world around us. And so, you know, it, it's a really beautiful thing to recognize that, yeah, what the church teaches here is not just this thing that you have to believe. It's actually a recognition of reality. You know, and, and that reality is is really hard. I was looking at some mm -hmm. um, articles and there is a statistic taken from the 2022 Pew Research Study that said only about three quarters of U.S. Catholics say abortion should be illegal in some cases, but legal in others. And only one in 10 said that it should be ab um, abortion should be illegal in all cases. And so we know that our Catholic Church teaches about the sanctity of life, that abortion is wrong, and yet only one in 10 are 100% on board with that. Mm. So I think that's something in and of itself that really points to a bigger issue on how are we reaching out to people? How are we catechizing them? As you mentioned, Father, you know, scientifically, you are able to come to this realization. And, and many times I think people recognize that, but then they come back to, well, but it's not just about the baby's life, it's about the mother's life. Mm. And, it, and it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. You know, I know this topic, we wanna focus on how do we help our kids be pro-life, but sometimes we, we actually have to start with that assumption or how do we help the adults see the sanctity in that? And, mm -hmm. and I'm curious, Maddie, you know, with the different things, obviously with what you do, people go to you because they have that desire and they're passionate about it. But do you actually talk to people to help lay that foundation for them about what the Catholic church teaches? 
I, I talk to the youth about it, but our Speakers Bureau with the Catholic Pro-Life community goes and talks to adults as well. And mm-hmm. so we do have that ministry within our organization that reaches out to adults and uh, seeks to help even pastors, if they need it, find mm-hmm. the words to share this truth um, and really encourage them to speak about it in their homilies and provide opportunities for their flock to learn about it. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um you know, one of the, the great blessings of having this community, the pro-life community, is that, you know, they, they do so much, not just as activists, but also as instructors. You know, they, they're really focused on getting the message out because as much as we can do in terms of lobbying, you know, and all of that, it can only go so far when the culture around us is so opposed to the value of life at its earliest stages and sometimes even at its latest stages too. You know, a lot of times we so devalue the vulnerable in any state because they don't seem to be able to do anything for us or they can't communicate in the way that we can know what they're about. And so it's harder for us to connect with them on a human level. And so it's natural for us to, to some extent, you know, devalue that because they can't express things the way that we can express them. And so one of the the great blessings of, you know, being able to witness to so many different people about it is we can begin to change the culture rather than just through enacting laws, but by actually helping people recognize what is true about this, helping them with the struggles that come about as a result of recognizing the truth, because that's really the hardest part of all of this is, you know, when you value everything that's good in a situation and you come into these situations where there seem to be conflicting goods, how do you balance those? That's the hardest thing to do in our lives is to balance what seem to be conflicting goods and say, how do we recognize and honor both of these when it doesn't seem like both of them can be honored? And that's the biggest challenge that we have in promoting the cause of life because it really is a challenge for people these days, especially when they're not well off, you know, when pregnancies happen, when they were unexpected, when, you know, families and even you know, single mothers don't know how they can provide for this child. You know, whether this is their first and only or whether it's their fifth or sixth. A lot of people end up in these situations where they're struggling. And when death is presented as an option, when it just sweeping it off the plate is presented as an option, it's a very tempting one. It's an honestly, you know, it, it really does reduce the mental stress. It does make people feel better about themselves to say, oh, I don't have to deal with this. So how do we, you know, as people who value that life, help those people? That's the big question. 
Absolutely. And if you if you look at the statistics, it says that about 40 percent of abortions are repeat abortions. Mm. And so it's so important uh, for us as pro-lifers to not just think about how are we changing hearts and laws? How are we helping the women? Mm. How are we being there to provide tangible help for the women in these situations? Um, And that's even important in Texas with abortion being outlawed here. Mm. Those women are still out there and we need to find them. And it's honestly harder to find them now that they're not on, we're not on a sidewalk where they're walking up. Mm-hmm. So we have to go, you know, we're working on searching for those women because if we don't help them, they will go across state lines. Um, they'll go over to New Mexico and they'll have the abortion. Um, and so we need to be there mm-hmm. helping them, providing them help to change their situation so that their life improves um, just by meeting us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, with with that sharing of that information, you know, these are the programs we've got. This is what we do to help people to choose life, you know, and especially now that there aren't as many options for not choosing life in our area. How do we support those people? How do we let them know that we're here? And my big question is, how are you letting people know in your work? <laughs> in my work? Well, we are, we are working on getting people out back on the sidewalk. Um, mm. There are abortion referral centers still in our area. There's mm. one uh, Planned Parenthood that recently opened up in Addison. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are starting a campaign called Prayerful Hearts to get people back out on that sidewalk. So anyone walking up to that referral center will encounter our love and our care and we will be able to connect them with the help they need. Uh, and so there, and there are also many websites popping up that uh, we uh, are getting a collection of where are the resources. So when you search for abortion in Texas, you're also going to get help in Texas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, working on those computer internet algorithms to, to get our information out there when they're searching for yeah, and, and one of the blessings of not having abortion available in the state is it makes it easier for people to connect with those resources that we have when they're going to look for them because they're right on their doorstep. They don't have to go to another state in order to get them. And, you know, it it's such a blessing, but if people don't know about it, they can't get it. And, you know, a lot of times we, we push a lot of that, you know, online stuff, but how are you you going into communities and educating them about what's available for that support. Well, one thing we we are doing is in in our parishes because we are um, with the diocese, and mm-hmm. so we folk we do focus a lot on the Catholic community. Is making sure that we have a sign in every bathroom of the parish, and and I know that we have them here mm-hmm. that uh, link to both our project Gabriel, which helps mothers, and also our healing after abortion ministry because of, for men and women who've experienced abortion, they need healing, um, and they need that to know God's for, forgiveness, um, and so those ministries are right there when they go to the bathroom, and they can uh, get the QR code. No one has to know that, you know, they took that information. Mm. So it is very private. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, the things we, we often see, you know, it, it's almost, you know, a, a cliche kind of thing is, you know, the, the teenage pregnancy and, you know, the, the natural desire to say, well, you know, we just have to get rid of it. You know, a, a child can't support a, another child. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a big challenge. How do we, you know, in 
in our ministries, you know, and in our parish life, better support those children, you know, those families who, you know, are struggling with that, you know, especially when there's a, a stigma of, well, now it's obvious that this child has committed a grave sin. You know, a lot of times that, that stigma is what motivates that drive to seek the abortion. And how do we support those children well? I think that that really comes back to a lot of what I do in my ministry mm-hmm. is teaching the teens to the truth of life and teaching them to support each other. Because when a, when a teen girl becomes pregnant, the first person she tells is her friend. Mm-hmm. And so those friends need to know the words to say. They need to be able to connect her to that help or know where to look for help and really be there to walk with her and support her. That one-on-one relationship is so huge. Um, and, and either be able to connect her with an adult who can help her tell her parents or you know, be there with her as she tells her parents because that is a very hard thing for the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just there, there are youth ministries that have supported um, these, these young ladies in their groups uh, that, that have become pregnant. And the youth groups surrounded the young woman in love. Mm. And they helped her through her pregnancy. They helped provide the materials needs she needed. And then they loved on that baby when the mom brought the baby to youth group. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I think, you know, as you know, in the parish, knowing that we need to treat these young women with, with love and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and not, we're not there to judge them. We are there to love them. And that is just really the heart of the pro-life message is love. Mm. One of the things I, I think about is, you know, in a church setting, we talk about catechesis and we want to teach them what the church teaches. But for many people sitting in a classroom setting, that's just going to go over their head. You know, the thing that seems to be the most important are those conversations as you mentioned, if something if someone is in a crisis situation, they're more likely to talk to their friends before talking to their parents, and it makes me think even of of my own um, struggle not struggle but I guess grasping on this topic as a, a young college student, I felt very much the evil. I saw the evil in abortion, but I was one of those people that said, however, you know, if someone is raped and that's in that situation, then it's okay. Because for me, I was looking at two evils and what was the worst, mm. and it was a friend talking to me and really breaking open the fact that regardless of the evil that happened there, there's an innocent life and having these conversations that really convicted me that you're right. There aren't any, you know, gray areas in this. It is, it, it is wrong. We need to choose life. We need to protect that child and beauty and grace can come out of an evil situation. Maybe it could even be the source of healing. And so for me, absolutely having these conversations was really important. And I think as we broach this topic about how are we going to help our children be pro-life, obviously the first step is that they're hearing it at home, that there's this message of love. And as you mentioned, Maddie, the importance of even though having you know sex outside of marriage is a sin, and if a, a, a pregnancy were to come from that, we would love you and forgive you. Helping them know that there's that safe space there and talking about life. It seems to me that that would be the importance of creating this foundation at home and then somehow equipping our children so that they can share that. So I'm curious, I want you to talk a little bit more about your ministry in particular and how do you talk to young people to be able to you know, feel confident enough to talk about these things because it is hard to talk about that at school, especially with people and um, just how widely accepted abortion is, even though it's not legal here now in Texas, the fact that people, as you mentioned, they can get referrals and go across state lines. So I'm curious, 
if we are able to create that foundation at home, how do we really empower our young people to be able to talk about that with their, their friends? Absolutely. So we met, I mentioned the Speakers Bureau and bringing it into our youth ministries to reach this wide audience. But really what I look at as the flagship of our Youth for Life program and our you know strongest ministry is our boot camp program. Mm. Uh, and so that is our summer, uh, summer camp that is we call Total Pro-Life Immersion. So we bring in speakers, but we also teach the kids hands-on service projects that they can take with them to do with their youth group, to do with their pro-life group, to do with their family at home. We also take them out to uh, various pro-life organizations in the community, those pregnancy resource centers, those maternity homes that are helping moms hands-on so they get a chance to see and participate in those during our camp. And then we, we keep our camp authentically Catholic. And so we have daily mass and we do morning prayer and night prayer. Um, and then really what the kids say is the most powerful thing is we take a trip over to the Cemetery of the Innocents, um, which is a grave site here in Dallas where the bodies of over a thousand board, aborted babies were buried. Mm-hmm. Um, and so taking those kids to that grave site is just life changing for them to see this is tangible. This is mm-hmm. real. This isn't just a word we hear. And so once you really, um, once they see it's tangible, they want to keep talking about it and they can't mm-hmm. stop talking about it. And I have parents come up to me all year saying, my kid cannot talk, stop talking about pro-life. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I had them for four or five days, you know, and that <laughs> made that big of a difference. And, you know, really it's not me, it's God. Um, mm-hmm. And so we we have had this high school program for over 20 years now, and it's changed so many minds and hearts. Um, And we also now have a middle school program because a few years ago we thought, man, these kids are getting these messages younger and younger, Mm -hmm. and we need to be teaching them the truth younger and younger. So now we have a middle school, call it Boot boot Camp Junior, Mm -hmm. uh, where we teach them more of the truth, and we teach them how to talk to their friends um, about these issues and encourage them that, they're not alone either. They see all these other youth with them during the summer and who have the same passion and the same beliefs. And so especially the ones who are kind of isolated in public schools. Sorry, babies. Babies talking too. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the ones that are isolated in public schools and surrounded by these negative messages, they get this chance to see I'm not alone in this. Um, and it really encourages and powers them to go out there and make a difference. I think one of the important things that you mentioned is the fact that to make it tangible, to let them see. So you're just taking this concept and you're bringing it to them. And I feel like within my own family and our children from a very young age, because I have multiple children. And so a lot of my older kids saw me when I was pregnant with my little ones, even before it was noticeable, you know, we would tell our children first, like, you're going to be a big brother again or a big sister. And so they knew that there was this baby inside of mommy. So from a very young age, they, they knew that, that before the baby was even born, there was a, there was a name, there was a life um, for that child. And so it was something that they were really excited about. And so we were even able to take them from a young age to some of our Dallas pro-life marches or even praying outside of the abortion centers, having them there too. And in a very simple way, telling them, you know, there are some mommies who, 
you know, are afraid about having this baby or they're struggling with different things. And so we need to pray for them because I think that's the common thing that we need to focus on is regardless of what side you're on, pro-life or pro-choice, we all love the mother. We want to support the mother. We want to support her in whatever challenges she's facing. And to be able to help my little kids see that, um, to be able to pray for that in front of the centers, I think that's something that really made it come alive for them. And now my my um, seven-year-old, every single night when we say our night prayers, she always prays for an end to an abortion mm-hmm. because it just made an impact on her and wanting to save those babies and wanting to be able to support the mom. So I think from a young age, we need to start showing them what life is and really encourage that. Oh, I absolutely agree. And we do the same thing in our family. We've taken our kids out to the sidewalks when the abortion mills were still open. We take them to the hike for life that we do. We take them to the North Texas March for life. Um, we stop outside of uh, outside before mass every October to the beautiful display. Our nights here set up. Mm-hmm. We say a prayer before mass for these babies um, and remind them of what's happening um, at, and at their appropriate level for the different ages. Mm-hmm. But they are there. We're praying for them constantly and, you know, talking about what mommy does and how we're helping those moms and uh, just, just so they can see what the community is doing, but what they can do also at this young age. One of the things, I'm sure I've shared this in the past, but one of the causes that our family really likes to support is the White Rose. And so pre-COVID, we used to race and try to raise money for them. That hasn't happened in a while, but we like to donate baby items and maternity clothes and donate money. And whenever you're part of that, they kind of put you on the mailing list and every Christmas we get uh, their Christmas card. And you know, when people send Christmas cards, normally it's the family portrait. Well, their Christmas card for the White Rose always includes all of the newborn babies. Just to Mm -hmm. give you this reality of your donation, your support has helped to allow these babies to be alive. And for my kiddos, that's something also just to be able to see those sweet little precious babies how can you you know it just tugs on your heart so i i think one of the keys that we are stressing here is somehow making it tangible whether it's with your children or even if you're an adult and this is something that you're still struggling with go and participate and 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 try to immerse yourself in this a little bit more open your mind to see how god may be touching your heart to see the reality of the dignity of life Yeah, and one of the most valuable ways we can teach that in a family context is how we're teaching the older kids about the newer kids that are coming (laughs) into the the life of the family, you know, teaching them about pregnancy as you're going through it, you know. It's a powerful thing to help our kids connect with the life that's in the womb. And I've seen so many families doing that so well to where, you know, their siblings are so ready to welcome their new brother or sister into the world. You know, they recognize the value of the life that's in mommy's belly. But that also leads them to rejoice more when the child is born, but it helps them to recognize this is already part of our family before birth. And that's a powerful message to send to your kids. You know, of this is someone valuable already because so many times the value of that person in the womb is lost because we don't have that personal connection with them. It's easy to say, well, that's not a person yet because we don't see them face to face. And so making it very clear that this is a member of our family before we ever meet them face to face is a really valuable thing. 
It, it absolutely is. And in my family, we extend that because we have had a miscarriage. Mm. Um, and so every time we say a prayer before meals, we pray for each family member by name. And we include the baby that we lost. We named her Ruth. Mm. And so she is included every time. We also, on our wall, we have our baby announcements all hung up. And we have a special, um, someone drew me a beautiful yellow rose for Ruth. And that's up there with with the baby announcements because she is a child in our family. And so our kids know that and remember that and are constantly reminded that, yes, we have six children, not just five. And this is a life. And, and so she's just as valuable as you, even though she had a very short life in mm-hmm. mommy's belly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Father Stephen, I know um, Maddie mentioned a little bit earlier about the, the crosses that we have out in our courtyard. Could you talk about that a little bit and maybe also in our columbarium, what we have for people who have lost babies due to a yeah. Um, miscarriage? Yeah. You know, we, we have every October, you know, for the 40 days for life, we put out these crosses that are a reminder of all the children that have been lost to abortion in our nation. And I mean, we, we, it's, it's astonishing the actual numbers um, when you look at it, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I can't even <laughs> yeah, really talk about it. Um, but it, seeing those crosses as memorials, you know, for our beloved dead, you know, who, who unfortunately were not loved when they were killed, um, is, is a powerful way of remembering just the, the hugeness of this, you know, it's a lot of times we get so focused on the individual cases that we miss how many have been lost. And those crosses are a reminder to us, you know, during this month, during this time when we, you know, focus on it, that it really has been, you know, I mean, more, more people, more children have died from, abortion than died during the COVID pandemics. You know, it's astonishing to see and to realize those numbers. And so we have that as a reminder for us to pray for an end to this. You know, we were fervently praying for an end to the pandemic because it was dramatically impacting our lives. But a lot of times we forget about abortion because it happens in secret. You know, and so we we have these opportunities to make it more public, make it more, you know, something that we connect with on a regular basis, which is why we've got right next to those crosses a more permanent shrine for the value of life with a mother rejoicing with her child at that statue. And we've also got a reminder of those deaths in our columbarium where we have a number of our own children that we've lost to miscarriages and we do have a memorial to those who have been aborted. And so that's something that's not just available during the month of October, during the 40 days for life, but it's something that we've always got there as a reminder to us, not only to pray for an end to abortion and a value for life, but also to pray for those souls that were lost. They didn't have an opportunity to be baptized. You know, even if their parents might have wanted it for them, or even if someone else in their family might have wanted it for them. You know, we trust the mercy of God, but we also know that, you know, these are people who deserve to be loved. And our prayers for them 
show that love. Even if we can't do anything about their situation now, we can still recognize that they are called into the same communion with God that we are, and by praying for the repose of their souls, we connect with them. And that's something we'll also be celebrating in a special way in November at the Feast of All Souls. It's helpful to remember not just you know our own beloved dead, but all the dead, especially those whose lives were lost before they ever really had a chance to live them. Last year, we had invited Jacqueline Smith to come and talk to us and talk with us about this topic. And I know she mentioned that the way the Diocese of Dallas and the Catholic Pro-Life Com- Committee um, is changing because now the focus is kind of gearing more towards post-abortive healing. I'm curious, did the Catholic Pro-Life Youth for Life, um, did that change at all in the way that you're handling the different situations or your, your Youth for Life boot camps, or is it really still the main message is focusing on helping the young people know how to talk about this with their friends and support their friends? Our our mission really didn't change very much because it was always focused on those one-on-one um, situations and that relationship and the, the teens being out there and being the advocates, and that is needed just as just as much now as it, as it ever was. Um, and, and I wanted to mention for Father Stephen's point um, about how many um, children are, are killed each year is that this summer I did the math um, on pre and post um, Roe being overturned, and the difference was so much less than I expected it to be. Mm. Um, so, so many of those abortions have just moved out of state and not stopped. Um, and so... We it, even though it's illegal here, there are still so many Texas women going and having abortions. Um, it, the sidewalk counselors that we know in New Mexico are saying so many of the plates, license plates they see are Texas license plates, mm. uh, and so it, it doesn't stop. It it is still absolutely a, a huge issue in our community um, mm. here. Can you tell me a little bit more about? You know, I guess you mentioned some of the things with the Speakers Bureau going to churches because I'm just curious about what can we do tangibly? How can we empower our Catholic faithful to really understand this topic? I mean, we've talked a lot about how in the family you can nurture that. But again, that's that assumption that as a family you hold those beliefs. So I'm just curious, what can we do to be able to help people more understand this? Um, Maybe share a little bit, maybe go into a little more depth about the speakers or going with the youth ministries, what you've seen or what has been successful? Uh, well, one thing, it's actually a parish-wide initiative that we've started that some of the parishes are have already implemented through their Respect Life um, uh, ministries at the parish level is spiritual adoption, um, where the, the parish as a whole gets together and each family ad- adopts a child who's at risk for abortion and vows to pray for this child for nine months. Uh, and so, and then at the parish during those nine months in the bulletin or in the um, kind of outside of the, the church, they have um, these posters or images of unborn babies through the levels of fetal development. And so you, you can see this child from the very beginning and there, it includes facts of what is happening right at that point, you know, the heartbeat, mm-hmm. the fingerprints, uh, brain waves, all of these things of um, development. And, you know, that's the science side. You're reaching those logical people because, you know, we have truth on our side. A- and science, you know, Father Stephen mentioned er- earlier, it, it, 
this all comes down to science. It's it's fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just, it, to me, it's, I don't understand how people don't get it um, when when you have that science side. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but putting those images in the church and, you know, reminding your people to, to pray for this child. And then at the end, the church, you know, some of the churches have thrown baby, baby showers at the mm-hmm. end to celebrate those lives that they've been praying for, mm-hmm. even though they never get to meet the baby. You know, they have this baby shower to remember, hey, wait, this wasn't just a, a, you know, I don't want to say imaginary, but but an intangible thing. It wasn't an abstract idea. This is tangible. This is a life. And we celebrate this life at a party Mm -hmm. here. If if a church wants to participate in that program, are there resources already available for you know the bulletin or things that they can do, or how would they get involved in that? Uh, we we can provide it for you through uh, if you have your uh, parish respect life ministry, reach out to us. Um, we we have those ready to go. We we have little boxes that we can give you, mm-hmm. and so the church just has to implement it. They don't have to create any resources or anything. Um, so we've we've done all the legwork for y'all. <laughs> Whenever I was in youth ministry, I remember during the month of October, we would always do um, cupcakes for life and we would have the youth come during youth group and we would make cupcakes and decorate them for birthdays. And we would pass them out after mass with a little um, a sign or flyer that talked about how every baby deserves a birthday and encouraging people to, to pray for them. Um, and I never knew as you're talking about this program that would have gone so well with it, maybe starting it off and then inviting someone to be able to pray for a child at risk, to be able to pray them to life. I think that's a real beautiful thing. And I feel like this, we need to talk about this more, especially Maddie, as you mentioned that the numbers haven't really dropped. Maybe it's not happening here, but people are going elsewhere. So we need to be able to continue to talk about this. And, and again, even as you mentioned, father, a lot of times it is the stigma, you know, maybe people more than anything, maybe you know, they don't even really want that to be the option, but they're so afraid of what other people will think if they find out that they're pregnant. And so parents, we need to be able to make that, that hard decision that I will love my child regardless. I will support my child regardless. Um, and we need to have those conversations. I think it's so important. Yeah. And recognizing that, you know, God's forgiveness is greater than ours is a powerful thing. You know, recognizing that this is something that, you know, comes out in the confessional, you know, and that's where the forgiving love of God comes in. But those of us who aren't in the confessional, who don't hear it, you know, confessed oftentimes, you know, rather than treating others with that same reconciling love that God shares with us, we'll just see the sin. Will just see the result of the sin, and that's all they can think about. And when we recognize that, you know, we're all sinners in need of redemption, that helps us to be more merciful and more loving in those contexts. You know, especially when we see, you know, that, you know, that stigma can really be there because a lot of times we feel our our own struggle with sin reflected in that you know even if we haven't ever struggled with you know fornication or adultery you know ourselves we might see other things reflected in that because it's a sign you know it's a product of something that shouldn't have ever happened in the first place but did but then again 
to some extent, we're all the result of something, you know, at least spiritually, things that weren't supposed to happen. God didn't mean for us to fall in the beginning. He wanted us to always choose him. And yet the fall happened. We've all fallen into one sin or another in our lives. And so recognizing that, you know, the ways in which we have received God's forgiveness, the ways in which we've received his mercy so that we can become better than our mistakes allows us to extend that same recognition to others. And that's really the the challenge of Christian love. It's sharing that love of God that we've received, even though most of the time we share it imperfectly. You know, but always striving to have that love that God has for us is really what we're talking about in terms of supporting these mothers, in terms of supporting people who are in difficult situations because most of the time that they're choosing to go the route of abortion, it's because it's too much for them. They can't deal with the implications in their lives, how their lives are going to change. And if they don't have people to support them in doing that, they feel like the burden's all on them. When in fact, we're all responsible for one another in Christian love, you know, as a human family. And so rather than, you know, looking at the struggles of this new life that's come into our lives, we need to especially rejoice at the presence of this new life. And, you know, of course, recognizing, you know, in situations where it has come in through sin, the evilness of that sin, a person's not evil because they were conceived in sin. <laughs> you know, otherwise we'd all be evil. Yeah. <laughs> not, not in the same way, but, you know, Original sin is not personal sin. And the way in which we treat one another who are struggling with the results of original sin and a lot of times personal sin often will see the results of that as a reflection on ourselves. And when we really experience that forgiving love of God for ourselves, it helps us to be more loving in response to others who have fallen into it. And so that that's one of the things that I always encourage people to do in the midst of this is to remember that God, even when we've done things wrong, continues to support us, continues to nourish us, continues to give us what we need for life so that we can become more than just people who used to sin. We can really become saints. And so by supporting people when they're in these difficult situations, we're giving them opportunities to rise above whatever situation they were in when this life came about so that they too can become saints and their children can become saints. When we have that in our minds, more than just avoiding sin, it becomes easier for us to always choose life. And I want to emphasize uh, what you mentioned a few moments ago about how we rejoice at the life. Being pro-life people, we're rejoicing at the life, not only within the mother, but of the mother itself. And I just want to focus on that fact that we want to support her. And as you mentioned, we're not about pointing fingers here. It's about what can we do to support them. And a couple of things I wanted to mention was, first of all, um, anyone who has had 
a child or has children knows how complicated it is sometimes even to do the most basic things, going grocery shopping, you know, let alone thinking about getting out for a date night. So a very kind thing we can do is just extend the offer to babysit for someone. It doesn't have to be someone who is contemplating abortion. It's just in general, anyone who has a child supporting the life, supporting the family unit, being able to offer to babysit for them um, can be such a gift. And as we come into this time of the holidays, there are several things that are very practical that people can do as well. I know for many people before the whole Christmas rush is a time when a lot of mothers, I would say, start cleaning out the closets. You need to get ready for the new clothes that people are growing into, the new toys that your kids are going to want. So it's a time where many people start purging and donating that. And so that's a really great time that you can take those items and consider donating to the White Rose or maybe even Project Gabriel. I remember when I went for a tour once, they mentioned that more than baby clothes, they actually had a lot of baby clothes. They needed the older clothes, like 3T and 4T, because they provide clothes not just for the the newborn baby, but even if that mother already has other children and she's struggling and needs to support all of them. And so clothes of any, I would say, I think it's still maybe through the younger ages, um, they, they need those, all of those toddler size clothing and shoes, toys, baby items. Like this is a great opportunity that you can donate that. And I think Maddie, you might've mentioned it earlier about, um, throwing baby showers. And I know I've heard a lot of different ministry groups in the past that have done something around Christmas time saying that they're going to throw a baby shower for baby Jesus. And so everyone brings new gifts. So whether it's diapers and wipes, formula, um, you know, baby bathing outfit or baby bathing items or outfits, whatever it may be. That's a part of the theme of the party, but then all of that gets donated to a good cause. Mm -hmm. So there's so many ways that at whatever age you are, whether they're little ones or adults in a ministry organization looking for something to do, it's a great way that we can remember those who are struggling and really love on them. um, And of course, pray for them. And as as you're doing those things that that Emily mentioned, if you do have young children, make sure you're talking them to them about it. You know, explain why we are babysitting this child. Explain why we are donating these items so that they see you doing it, but they also understand why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're big about conversation in our house, and our kids understand why we do these things, and they're part of the conversation about why do we make family sacrifices for mommy to go do some of the work I do, which does take away from our family, but they understand that it's such important work that it's worth it to us. Um, and and so talking to your kids and including them as part of this, um, and as you're cleaning out closets, if you have older kids, my older sister is a great example of this. She tells her kids, go in your room and, and find any toys you're done with that we can give to other kids mm-hmm. in need. Uh, and so they're doing it of their own accord and they're choosing to give from that young age and really building that pro-life in in them, in the family. Love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, as we're coming to the end of this episode, um, you know, we like to share those tools. We've shared a lot of different options, um, but I think, you know, it's always more helpful to find out what are we planning to use? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we going to be focusing on as we're going forward? Um, you know, what are the tools out of the toolbox that we really need to take advantage of, you know, in the coming weeks? Yeah. So one of the things that I think uh, I feel called to do Stemming from one of our last uh, episodes where we talked about the rosary, um, I've been really 
drawing into that this month of October. And so we talked about the importance of prayer for these babies. But I think within my family, I specifically want to say some some very intentional rosaries for life for the young ones this month of October. So that's the tool that I'm taking away. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I, I think one of the things that I've gotten a little bit disconnected from in terms of, you know, a lot of times I, I'm focused on, you know, as pastor here, making sure we're getting this group in and that group in and that group in and making sure everybody's aware of all the things that we're doing. But a lot of times I forget about the things that I need to be doing in connection with it. And so one of those things I, I have been praying along with our community, but one of the things I, I recognized I haven't been doing as much recently is connecting with the ministries who are doing with the work and seeing what kind of support they need. And so I'm going to go out and get in touch and see what I can do to actually help beyond just, you know, making sure they've got their events here. Great. Now, Maddie, you're a pro-life person through and through. Is there, you may not have anything new, but will you have any takeaways from this episode? Well, I think as, as I was talking about what some of the youth groups have done to support mothers within their own youth group, I was really thinking about how awe-inspiring that really was. So I'm, I'm going to put it on my list to do to reach out to those ministries and kind of create a, a toolbox to give to the youth ministers uh, throughout the diocese. So mm-hmm. when, you know, you know, if or when they encounter this, they have this to pull out and know what to do and who to reach out to to ask questions um, to be able to make sure that's a diocesan-wide thing that mm-hmm. we are able to do. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a joy to have you, and um, we'll continue to pray for you and your ministry and, um, you know, continue to look for ways in which we can share this message of life to our kids so that they grow up with that as part of their culture, especially when the culture of death is all around us. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really, it's really been a great time having this conversation with y'all. And thank you, little baby Peter Augustine for joining us. He was so good. He's just what, two and a half months old. That's right. He did great. His first podcast. (laughs) Well, as we bring this episode to a close, we, Invite the intercession of our patron, St. Joseph, as we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Joseph. Pray pray for for us. Head of the Holy Family. Pray pray for us. Glory of family life. Pray pray for us. Cornerstone of families. Pray pray for us. Protector of Holy Church. Pray Pray for us. Let us pray. O God, who in your inexpressible providence were pleased to choose St. Joseph as spouse of your Most Holy Mother, grant, we pray, that we who revere him as our protector on earth may be worthy of his heavenly intercession, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. Remember, we are all a work in progress, so be sure to tune in next time to gain new tools to help you build the church at home.